What is up, everybody? Welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. This is episode 74 of the show. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined, as always, by Ben Badler. What's going on, Ben? January 15th on the horizon, so it's been a busy, busy start to the year. Very, very much looking forward to January 15th getting here. How about you guys? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I don't know if I can say any longer that I'm less busy than you, but I still feel like the amount of work you're doing for January 15th probably trumps everybody else on staff at this point because you have your hands in this podcast, which is a lot of work. You have your hands in the prospect team, and we've got our top 100 rolling out in the near future, and you have to cover January 15th, and then you also obviously play a very heavy role in kind of sorting out where the prospects are going to rank in their respective top 30s. So I know I've already been hampering you with some questions on that front. I'm sure plenty of Baseball America readers will be asking you questions like that moving forward. But January 15th is like your big day, Ben. So I'm curious just how you're doing. What is the preparation like leading up to this day? Uh, but yeah, just just checking in with you and, and seeing what the process has been like for you this year. Yeah, so it's you know obviously the players are going to sign on the 15th and it's not like they're going to magically come to terms uh with teams that morning uh the a lot of these players have had commitments in place to sign going back two three plus years in a lot of cases and, and these players are still 16 17 years old so a lot of it is um you know checking in making sure that the information we have is still uh accurate up to date no no surprises uh, in terms of players switching teams which uh, or or any any of these commitments changing which I, I think there will be a a surprise or two here or there but um yeah i mean for for the most part it's just making sure we're doing a lot of um you know homework on these guys to check in and make sure everything is still uh kind of accurate and up to date on on all these players and what is January 15th itself going to look like for you? Do you have plans for that day? I know you kind of bunker down and you're just on top of all the signings, getting out pictures of guys signing, things like that. What What's the plan this year? Yeah, usually, so it starts in the morning. Um, you know, we'll have all of the, or most of the, pretty much all the big agreements up uh, right away. But then the actual signings will trickle in throughout the day. Uh, you know, I'll have some done early in the morning, but teams split it up throughout the day as far as how they do it. So I think you probably by late morning, early afternoon, there will be a flood of players uh, actually signing their contracts, get the photos, see the players signing with their, uh, you know, with their team, with their families there. Um, it's a lot of teams will have a big thing at their complex in the Dominican Republic, uh, definitely with, you know, pretty much all their Dominican players will go there to sign. Some teams will bring in players from Venezuela or Colombia uh, or, or other countries throughout um, the international market as well to come in and have a, you know, a big signing ceremony for that day for the players and their families. Uh, but otherwise, there's, you know, Venezuela, especially, or, or some of the other countries, you know, Panama, Colombia players might have signings uh, in their own home countries, in their own areas, especially Ven like Venezuela is a much bigger country just geographically mm -hmm. than um, the Dominican Republic. So the, the signings might be more spread out and it'll go pretty much on through the night. Some, some players will sign at night, have their parties 
there, Bahamas too. Um, and then some players too will sign not right on the 15th. It's not like uh, there's no like deadline at midnight or something where you can't sign after that. The signing period. Goes hey, don't, don't give anyone ideas, Ben. We've had way too many people talking about creating deadlines this off season to speed up the process. So well, maybe, maybe the people who do hate the slow transaction period can just, just dive into January 15th. There's a ton of action in one day. That'll yeah. s- satiate that, that hunger. I think th- I think some teams will probably do their signings on more a lot of their signings on maybe like the 16th or the 17th. I think the Royals maybe last year or, or in recent years have done it like that. So you probably have some fan bases will be be like, wait, where, where are where are these guys? <laughs> did they did they up? flip to another team? Yeah, it's like no, they're just they're going to sign these guys on another date officially, so we don't have any signing photos of them. Until this they is, actually sign their contract. This is kind of the case. I feel like there are some orgs in the domestic draft that just for whatever reason, the official signings for their draft players come later than other teams. Some some of them will like batch them in one day officially. And every year there are a lot of questions about like, oh, whether or not this player is going to sign. And it's like the entirety of the top 10 rounds. I'm like, yeah, they'll probably sign these guys. You don't need to freak out yet until the deadline passes. Yeah, but. what is it, like 98% of the top... Yeah, I believe sign. in the entire bonus pool era, it's like north of 98% in the top 10 rounds sign. Um, I think I updated those numbers after this most recent draft. But yeah, it's it's very, very rare that, that someone does not sign uh, in that range. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be a lot, of, a lot of texts, a lot of messages going on that day. <laughs> Try to share as many signing photos as I can on uh, on X and on Instagram and is there a um, like a Badler cave that you get to hunker down in on this day or what's your normal work setup anyways like th- this work from home thing has been the norm for you for years but I used to really love in the Baseball America office and this was I guess when John was still on the draft show or maybe when I was an intern too like I, I love the idea of a war room just in general. Um, and we had a couple conference rooms that we could use for that on draft day. Everyone would just pile in the draft would be on TV. We'd have all our laptops and papers and stuff all scattered around. Do you do anything like that? Or is it pretty, pretty normal setup for you on, on draft day? I imagine you need a phone and a computer and that's pretty much it. Maybe yeah. some monster. I could, I could ship you over some monster energy if you want. Uh, I think, uh, no, just, just a, just a nice breakfast. I'll be good. <laughs> you know, go to my, go to my desk and my computer uh, keep my phone charged all day. Um, yeah, it's not it's not like the draft where there's actually some suspense where we don't know, you know, like we don't know who's going to be. You don't have to fret about your mock draft. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> might know who the number one overall pick will be, but, um, you know, we don't know where the players are going in advance of the draft. So there's a lot to, for us to talk about with each other and bounce off each other and that kind of stuff, whereas – internationally it's you know maybe a surprise here or there but um for the most part you kind of already know uh can read everybody's paper (laughs) ahead of time yeah absolutely well i'm looking forward to it uh is there anything else coming on the site as we record this it's thursday january 11th so we're just four days away um when people are listening to this podcast it'll be friday anything you want to plug on the site or anything ahead of January 15th that people should either be reading or on the lookout for from you for this as we kind of prep for January 15th? Um, yeah, we'll have the, you know, we got our bonus board up right now, which you know, just lines up the players, the top players in the class, or at least in terms of their expected 
bonus amount. Uh, you know, it might be off by you know player here or there, but uh, for the most part, it should give you a pretty good sense of who the top paid players are going to be this year. Scouting reports on those players, and it's just you know one of those things where uh, you know just talking to a so just talking to a scout uh, yesterday was like you know asking about their favorite players in the class for this year and it's like all right well talking about players and oh i haven't seen this player in three years or this team committed this player so early we we never even got a chance to see him so i can't even tell you about him so it's it's um uh, you know that, that, made, that whole thing will never not be weird to me because you know the, the entirety of my conversations yeah. yeah like I, I can't wait for some sort of adjustment to the system we talk about this every year it seems like but Hopefully one day we'll have like a, a tighter window on like a tighter feedback loop on, on the actual players. Uh, yeah. And, nice. and, you know, like we still, I'm able to talk to people who have seen the players more recently, but it's just not the same as what we have in the draft or even for our high school players who are, who are the same age. I mean, the, the reason we've done it this way and we may, you know, look into changing it going forward, but uh, the way the reason we've done it this way for the last few years, I mean, one was just to bring attention to it. Um, MLB doesn't want to really acknowledge it outside the context of when there's a CBA negotiation going on and saying, Oh, actually, no, we do want to draft because there really are these early deals mm -hmm. going on. And then after the CBA is done, they don't get a draft. It's back to uh, <laughs> pretending like this stuff doesn't happen. But um, so we, I did want to bring attention to it. Uh, doesn't seem to have, mattered to uh mlb uh but the uh, but then it's it's not so much the age of the players it's uh, yeah it's going back to the you know the how certain can you be of this information um i mean we rank the top 100 high school players in the country for the 2025 class players who are 16 17 years old and it's like yeah everybody just saw all of these guys mm -hmm. all summer i mean some guys are more prominent on uh, you know, at a lot of big national events than other players, and that's you know totally normal. But it would be the same way uh, internationally if there was yeah. uh, a draft too. So it's really just about okay, these guys aren't really being scouted in a uh, competitive environment by major league clubs in the last couple of years for the most part, and and players this age can change so much, and I mean literally just grow so much <laughs> in in a pretty short amount of time if if the system was changed would your ideal way to cover these prospects be kind of like kind of like how we work with the high school players currently or would you just want to start the scouting report and i guess awareness process later with the international prospects like like do you think it would be feasible or would you want to have like an iterative list of players that maybe starts around the same time or underclass high school lists update and then you, you kind of just follow that schedule like what would your ideal coverage schedule of the group be if if you did have access to seeing these players and talking to scouts who are actively scouting them and it wasn't the case it is now where you're like four years ahead looking down the road and and the current guys are just kind of forgotten about uh, i mean assuming the signing age <clears throat> stays the same which is i mean mlb kind of quietly raised the signing age without I mean, they don't raise the age of when the players debut, but they moved everything back during the pandemic from yeah, you sign on July 2nd to now you sign January 15th, which has a lot of different ramifications for players and, and for teams as well. 
but you know, you're signing players now it's 16 and a half ish to 17 for the most part. Um, when you get too much younger than that, like we don't even rank players really below that. I mean, we, yeah, we'll have a 2026 high school ranking. So like the, you know, the current high school sophomores and there are some players in the very young end of that class, I guess, who are still 15, but like the younger you get, at least as far as trying to project who's going to be a prospect i think the more uh not just the more challenging it gets but the more um almost useless i would say mm-hmm. it can be beyond maybe uh, a handful of maybe five ten players who are like oh wow this 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 yeah. this player is pretty special you can tell he's definitely like gonna be at least bryce harper by the time he was 14 you probably knew he was a little different <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like Ethan Salas at that age was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. But then, you know, you have other players who are <laughs> really good when they're uh, 14 or 15, and by the time they're 18, it's like, oh, yeah, remember that guy? He remember was, that, yeah. Yeah, famous early on, and now he's committed to go to this big D1 uh, power program, and he probably should go somewhere else because he probably won't even be good enough to <laughs> play there. So, yeah, I think probably one year at a time especially internationally it's not like here in the states with high school players i mean yeah obviously the population size of the united states is significantly more than uh, the dominican republic and Mm -hmm. venezuela but the organization of it is so different it's not like i mean it's definitely not like the college players where you have all their stats and you have so much more information and background and history and data Mm -hmm. uh, and video on all these players in the Dominican Republic, it can just be, you know, Joe Schmo off the street has some player and might end up being some really good, good <laughs> player that he's just happened to known for, uh, you know, since the kid was really young and has been training and coaching him for a while. So um, it takes a lot more to really get dialed in and make sure you're being thorough and know who the top players are especially once we do go to draft because right now it's a little bit easier in some sense where all right i'm I'm not that we're saying like all right the guys who sign for the most money are necessarily the best players because a lot of times you know there are guys especially in pitching guys who sign for smaller bonuses who end up being some of the best prospects but like you know i i know who everybody pretty much is going to sign for a million dollars or more or five hundred thousand dollars or more Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of making sure now, okay, I have the names. I know about what they're going to sign for, making sure I ask people about those players. Whereas if we if we go to a draft, um, especially, you know, starting in maybe, say maybe 28, 28 or 2029, 20, if we get that far down the road, because even the next few classes we know the team. Well, I kind of want to ask you about that because we've talked about the international draft in the past. You talk about it still almost as if it's like an inevitability, something that is going to happen in the future. Do you have any updated thoughts on how likely that is? How much is that being talked about still in the industry? Like, when are we going to see the international draft coming? Because the way you talk about it, it's almost like at some point we're going to have it and we're going to change. But we haven't had that yet. So what are your like developed thoughts on that? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's inevitable. Uh, I remember there was a one of the things I used to really like in the working at the BA office when we had it in Durham when I was living down there was just flipping through 
the old archives of the magazine and going through old top 10, seeing how we rank players, seeing how we would, um, the scouting reports that we had on players, which are, uh, a so much less thorough than what we have today and be incredible that they were able to get the kind of information that they did mm. back then pre internet, pre laptop, pre cell phone, <laughs> uh, just like pre text message, pre all of this, like, wow. Um, pretty, pretty impressive. They were able to do what they were able to do in the early days of BA. Uh, but there was a story probably in like the, I want to say like the early nineties when Sandy Alderson was at the commissioner's office and there was a big headline where it was like, uh, Sandy Alderson says, uh, an international draft is inevitable. So this was probably like <laughs> what, 40 years later. Yeah. Like 30 years later, uh, still has not happened. I would have thought it would have happened in this last CBA or this current CBA because, okay, they already went to a hard cap for international signings, which I can't believe the union. And I, I think MLB couldn't believe. The really? Union. You can't believe that. I think it is the least surprising thing ever. The union consistently was using amateur players as like a bargaining chip for their yeah. veterans. Like well, that I, was the least shocking thing of all time. I'm not surprised that they used non-union members as leverage, but to do it and to give up such a big, th give something so big to the owners and get back what? You of all people return? should be more skeptical of them than this, Ben. Come on. <laughs> but well, what did they get back in return? That know. was so great. But whereas in this, in this past CBA, it was like, all right, well, they already have a hard cap. What does the union, what do these guys in the 40 man roster care whether the players have a hard cap through free agency where, okay, I guess the players get to pick their team or to a certain extent, at least, mm -hmm. uh, or have some more freedom over it versus a draft where, okay, you don't get to have much freedom over where you sign. But yeah, in this system, like if, if you just don't want to go to a team for whatever reason, whether it's geography or player development history or just personnel, like you don't have to go there. So that is, I guess you could say, is a benefit for the players in the current system, but it's it's extremely complicated. So Yeah, the, well, the drawback is, you know, these players are having to get ready by the time to sign now by the time they're 13 or 14 years old because that's yeah. what the teams are. That's what the teams are doing right now. They're not. They're not out scouting players right now for, for the most part for who are going to sign next year in January 2025. I mean, they <clears throat> they still are to a certain extent, but a lot of the focus now is on players who are going to be signing in January 2027, January 2028. So uh, an international draft would definitely slow that down. So I think MLB... Uh, I, I think MLB is right to want to slow down that process. I think everybody or almost everybody involved wants to slow down the process, whether it's the scouts or the owners and right, like the players and the trainers who are representing these players are like, I, I don't want to have to, you know, get these players ready to sign by the time. So they're what is the timeline? What is the timeline for the trainers who are developing these players? Cause if, if these players are making decisions at 13, 14, how long have they been in a trainer's program prior to that? 
Yeah, so that I think that's one thing where it's really accelerated over, especially over the last five years. Like they're where, out there scouting eight-year-olds and trying to get well, someone in a program. Yeah, I mean, they used to get players into their programs when they were, you know, 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And then they would sign at 16, and it's like, all right, now you have two, three years with the players to uh, to train them, to help them develop, practice. Uh, and even in, you know, even in those two, three years, you have a whole bunch of players usually in your class, every, every trainer or agent kind of does things a little bit differently in terms of how they operate their program. Some of them are much leaner now, or they're being very selective where they just have maybe one or two or three players, um, that they, that they just focus on to, you know, really keep their costs down. Cause other, other programs have a whole bunch of players in their academy and again like if you're getting a player when they're 13 years old and they're signing at 16 you're you know every day it's you're you're, it's training coaching you you know you're paying all your coaching staff and then all the other stuff that you know no agents in the united states here who are representing high school players are not doing in terms of providing uh food uh equipment uh a lot of times housing, uh, medicine, uh, you know, the mom needs this, the dad needs that, especially for the families down there. It it can be, um, you know, just a lot more that, that goes into it than there is for a high school player here in the States in terms of being able to support the player and his family. Um, and, and, you know, they're growing, going through so many different, (laughs) uh, spikes, gloves, all that stuff too. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's just for, you know, that's the way it was for taking care of these players for a few years. Now, like you said, yeah, these, the agents, the trainers are getting players into their programs when they're even younger. I mean, they have like, uh, some of them have like these like youth leagues that they're basically running. So, um, trying to bring players in through that way to make sure they're like, like almost ready to sign or, or ready to showcase for clubs, which I mean, they're not really ready when they're yeah. 13, 14 years old, but uh, this is the way, this is just the reality of the way the process works now for uh, I, I would say, unfortunately, it's not, not, not ideal for anybody, uh, yeah. the players or, or the clubs to be, in the environment that we're in right now. Do you know how much like academic schooling and education happens in these scenarios? I mean, I can't imagine it's much of a focus, but is that like part of a program? Maybe it varies trainer by trainer, but like what kind of like education are these kids actually getting once they're in these programs? Yeah, it, it varies. It varies by program. It varies by individual player and their family too. And, and the, you know, each country uh, is different. Like, you know, the kids in, Curacao, different than Venezuela, different than Dominican Republic, and and even just different parts of the country too. So some, you know, some families are very adamant that their, you know, that their son stays in school and 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 negotiates scholarship money too, uh, if they're able to get it from uh, from a club to the MLB scholarship program. Um, not sure like how much usefulness that gets, um, but. But yeah, some but but some players just don't go to school. Some of it's, um, you know, so, some of it's just the environments that they're in. Even aside from 
baseball, like if, if baseball never existed, some of it would still be uh, the same issues. But yeah, you do have some, a lot of players who are just no longer going to any kind of school mm-hmm. um, leading up to their signing as they're training. Some kids do, well, you know, they'll do like weekend classes, things like that. Um, others do do more schooling just if their family is more uh, insistent upon it. But, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, uh, another unfortunate part of the, the situation. Any other topics on like just the, the systemic issues maybe of the current system? I did want to ask you about pros and cons of January 15th specifically, like the pros and cons you saw for teams, for players, for you personally, like where is the ideal spot on the calendar for international signing day? If there is one, because we talked a lot about like moving the draft back a few months. You hear about that from the industry a ton. It seems like everyone in baseball really just doesn't like that. What is the, the sense of like January 15th on the calendar now from your perspective? And and how do you think teams, players, and, and trainers uh, think of that now? I don't think the teams generally like it. Um, the, um, the, the, when the signing date was July 2nd, the players would sign so they'd uh, immediately be part of the organization. They'd be in the system, but they couldn't play in a, you can't just go out and play in a DSL game unless you were previously eligible to sign, right? Like if you're already 18 years old, you can go out and play right away. But uh, if that was your July 2nd class, you would, you could be at the team Academy. You can play in unofficial games, right? Like the tricky league games that they would have uh, that basically this like loosely organized um, well, almost like an instructional league, right? That kind of s- scenario. And and they would also have their Dominican instructional league too. So these players would be in the academy, in the system for a full year, uh, learning, learning teams, you know, the daily, understanding the daily routine of what it's like to be a professional, uh, going through a lot of the fundamentals that we take for granted probably uh, especially <laughs> seeing you know whether you're you know watching major league players all the time or players in in the minor leagues just little basic abcs of the game that yeah. you need to learn like how we do cuts relays um, it's funny because i feel like usa baseball a lot of their camps and events they really prioritize stuff like this so i see it all the time but it is funny to think about like not seeing that sort of training and practice going on yeah like you know for scouting players like it's not super fun to go watch base running drills or something like that but it actually like you don't like sliding drills ben (laughs) yeah here's how you know here's how we cut at the bag that kind of stuff Uh, or i mean in extreme cases like here's what a force out is oh Um, man i don't think you know, I, th- I think that's pretty rare, but it it does happen. Um, so you would have a whole year to and and get a whole year on your you know your throwing program, uh, which teams can kind of do, I guess now, <clears throat> uh, maybe unofficially, anyways. But you know, get into our get into our cafeteria, get into our uh, strength and conditioning program, all that for a full year. So the players are much better prepared. And they have a lot more game reps as well by the time their career starts in the DSL the following year. Now they're signing on January 15th. So, you know, teams will so have a lot of that foundational work is either shortened or can't be done. 
Yeah, like. everything is condensed. You're starting later. You can still bring players into your uh, academy for a certain number of days per per month before they sign. So teams will have camps where they'll bring in their players who are committed to sign with them or as many as you know they're able to at once to try to bring them in and um, get you know the development aspect done that way. Uh, but it does definitely condense the window. And then the other, the big thing now for the players is because they moved the signing date to a different calendar year, that has a significant impact on how the players are taxed if they come to uh, the United States and play in the States, whether it's for uh, an official game or my, my understanding and you know this is not uh, tax or legal or financial advice. if you're taking tax <laughs> advice from me you're an idiot and you'll probably end up in prison <laughs> but the the reason you see well one of the reasons you see almost every single international signing now start his career in the DSL whether it's a ten thousand dollar signing or a $3 million signing is because if those players now, because they're getting paid and if they play in the United States, they would then get taxed on their bonus in the United States. So you're signing for a million dollars. Like you're going to give up half that money almost <laughs> to, mm -hmm. in taxes, which was really terrible for the players. So the teams and the players are basically agreeing to say, all right, no, we'll keep our guys in the DSL for a year. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, it's just the right thing to do. We don't want them to lose all that money. Now there are some exceptions like <clears throat> Ethan Salas got to double a when he's 17 years old. Like, I think he'll, <laughs> I think he'll be fine mm -hmm. long-term. Like I think it's going to work out for him. Um, there, you know, there are other players um, who've come over to the States, but almost every player is starting in the DSL now because of those tax reasons, not because the teams don't want them to come over. Like in a lot of cases, the teams are just aggravated because they're like, Hey, like this guy's really good. We're really excited about him. We want to push him. We want to be more aggressive. We want him to, you know, have access to our instructors and facilities every day here in Arizona or in Florida. Uh, and just because they don't want to, Right, like screw over the player and <laughs> cause them to lose a lot of money. They're keeping them in the DSLs. Some of it too is it's still some COVID backlog of players uh, and the you know the, the man. Roster. It seems it seems crazy that in 2024 we're still talking about the COVID impacts on on all these waves of players. I can't wait for it to end. Well, well, it's that, but also the restrictions, the roster restrictions now, yeah. where it's like you know we can only have so many players in our, um, you know, on our overall minor league roster limits in the States. And we can only bring over so many players on our Arizona league or our, or our Florida complex league club now. So I would rather be a little bit more patient now and keep these players in the DSL. Uh, but also, unfortunately we have to make quicker decisions now on when to, yep. 
release players. So if we have, you can't take the like. It's so annoying that you just have less space for those guys that have talent and just need time, time to develop. Like they're getting squeezed out by other prospects ahead of them that are being held back longer than they otherwise would have. They're being pressed by the upcoming class that's coming right behind them. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Yeah, and in the states, it's like, okay, so it squeezes out high school players. And the, you know, the guys who are not the elite of the elite high school players end up going to college and they can continue their baseball development from age 18, 19 through 21, 22. There are a number of other paths for the the high school players in the States. You go the Juco route, you go to college and play Mm -hmm. baseball. Like there's a lot of real options that are beneficial. Yeah. But for the Dominican player, the Venezuelan player, you're signing, I mean, you you're signing usually at 16, 17, 18. It'll be some 19, 20 year old sign this year. But um, even once you're in a system, if you are that more raw, deeper projection guy, where I mean, especially for pitching, hey, maybe something will click by the time you're 21, 22 years old. If you're, you know, 19, 20, it hasn't clicked yet. Teams want to keep signing more players you probably just going to get released. I mean, teams are still releasing players who, I mean, look, they're not releasing anybody who's going to be in their top 30 prospects or a top 40 prospect, but um, there are definitely guys who, um, you know, where this 2019 would still be in an organization, still be getting an opportunity who are just going to get released because there's only so many spots that teams have now. And yeah. it's going to be even fewer going forward. And, and what are what would you say are the pros and cons for just you personally for January 15th? Is it like a, a huge issue? Is it hard to adjust to? Are you used to it now? Is it still super annoying? Uh, for me, the pros are that it's not right in the middle of the summer when it's like there's it's super busy <laughs> then, right? We have yeah. we have the draft. We have the minor league season. The summer, game. yeah, the summer showcase circuit. Uh, I mean, that's part of why I'm even able to do as much high school prospect coverage as I'm able to do now is most of that happens in the summer. And now, all right, now it's not July 2nd anymore. Uh, so I'm able to be a little bit more flexible with my time that way. Um, the downside and and the upside too is look like there's a lot just in terms of our just as a business the the, there's so much else going on in the middle of you know on july 2nd in the baseball world major league games minor league stuff there's there's so many other things going on that has people's attention whereas on january 15th uh there's not anything else going on Mm -hmm. in baseball maybe salary arbitration stuff (laughs) uh i think today actually as recording they're gonna it's like the deadline for the deadline today yeah yeah i hope hope you've all enjoyed your salary arbitration uh twitter day yeah uh, when the deadline really into whether or not max freed is going to agree with the braves this year arbitration. yeah yeah um so i mean that's important but it's not (laughs) all that it's not fun from a fan perspective for sure yeah whereas this it's like you know there it's a it can get its own spotlight on january 15th which unfortunately is on a holiday too it's on martin luther king day so (laughs) um 
but um, I'm not sure if that's better or worse for January 15th. Maybe that means more people are off and can read all of your content Ben, and follow along. I'm going to say that's better this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially now, people working. I don't from think home more anyway. MLK Day in the middle of January has never really been a holiday that I've just leisurely taken off. I don't think, just given all the the stuff that's going on on the baseball side. So, yeah. Then there's, yeah. You know, that the downside is that we just finished the prospect handbook. Like, there's so <laughs> much for us. There actually is a lot of other things. You know, we're putting together our top 100. Yeah. Uh, well, just remember right before Christmas, like we had finished up the prospect handbook. I was talking about how excited I was to get a little breather. And you're like, Nope, not for me. Yeah. January 15th prep. Well, so. that's the other downside too, is it's like, you know, we can't put, we'll put those players in the top 30 after they sign, but we can't really put them into the prospect handbook, unfortunately. Cause that, yeah deadline is right before christmas so it's like man like we kind of could like <laughs> we could put these players in there because we know more or less what they're going to sign but there's always one or two surprises i don't want to like you know wind up with i don't want to i don't want to you can't really in. can't really edit print as easily as we can with the website so. yeah so um you know it's like in the draft all right like kumar rocker doesn't sign um all right fine it's easy to to fix that enough but yeah um, you know and i also just don't think that uh, i'm curious what the the reader reaction would be but i don't think most like you're talking about putting kamar rocker in like updating top 30s after the draft you really don't into like we talked about 98 percent of the players top 10 rounds sign you expect the team's top 10 overall picks gonna sign Mm -hmm. so it's like not i I don't think anyone's gonna give us a hard time and say oh you guys had rocker in the top 30 before it was official oh well most of these guys are just going to sign. So, but yeah, for the international guys, it's a little different. Yeah, but we'll have them in for if you're a BA subscriber on the website, we'll have them in the top 30s um, once they sign. Cool. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about as you were talking about um, just the process of getting players into um, organizations, getting those foundations built. Do you have a good sense for? which teams do that the best, which teams do it better than others? Is it a fairly uniform approach that teams take? Do you think there is an edge that can be gained and and maybe is being gained um, just with that maybe kind of onboarding process or like early international development? I don't know how much separation there is between that specifically and just player development as a whole, but I'm curious if you have a sense for that. I would say it starts even before they officially sign. I mean, that's the big thing now, too, is, all right, before, let's say, go back to, like, 20, you know, 15, you know, it might be, you know, a player, if a player agreed to sign with a team, like, the year before or a year before his signing date, it was like a, that was like, whoa, like, that's early, right? Whereas now you know, teams are lining up players to sign who are going to sign in 2027, 2028. So you have in between when they, the player commits when he might be 13 or 14 to when he signs, when he's actually 16 or 17, like that's a long time. (laughs) Um, And, and those are crucial development years, very foundational development years for the player. So I think as, organizations realize that okay like we can't just you know have this player committed to sign with us for three years down the road and then just leave him to his own devices with his agent or with his trainer 
to do whatever. Like, no, we need to be, we, we need to be on like officially or unofficially. Like we need to be helping facilitate their development. It's in everybody's best interest. It's in the team's best interest. It's in the player's best interest. It's in the trainer's best interest. So, um, you know, for pitchers, it's uh, workload management, uh, throwing program, all that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of programs will have, um, you know, the, like the trainer programs of their own strength and conditioning people, but, you know, it might be working, you know, might be leaving them to their own devices on that. It might be working with them through, um, you know, giving them their own programs to work with, to, to train and, and eat the way they're, you know, they want them to, uh, and, and especially the game side of stuff. Like if, you know, if a player commits to a team when he's 13 and then stops playing or just doesn't play in a lot of games uh, outside of his visits to the, you know, his official visits to the team academy, that's going to really stunt his development. Uh, whereas if the, you know, the team is making sure the player is playing, getting a lot of live ABs, playing in as many games as possible, uh, as possible, that's going to be a lot better for the player to, uh, to progress rather than just taking BP or, or just taking ground balls uh, every day. So I, I think a lot of teams are recognizing, um, Hey, like th these guys need to be, um, you know, not just left to their own with their trainers, but we need to be responsible uh, for kind of cultivating their development and making sure they're still uh, working and making sure they're, they're, they're getting game reps too, to, um, to be to be ready are, are there any teams that stand out that you think do a really good job with with the process there um and also how much conflict or is there between teams with these programs and maybe trainers who really like the idea of of doing their own training especially before a player is officially with with a team uh i i think the yeah i, I mean i think they generally will work collaboratively together like hey we're going to give your guy a million dollars like <laughs> okay yeah help us i think they're open to <laughs> yeah uh to that um but it's you know every every team does it differently and it depends on it depends on it just depends on the player depends on the circumstance i, I think some teams maybe more so in the past but i uh, even still today like don't want their players playing in a lot of like publicly seen games too they're still cautious of that or they don't want some they're other just team. trying to create information asymmetries or prevent like poaching opportunities yeah they don't want somebody else to come in and be like whoa like this kid who you know we have for four hundred thousand is probably worth like 1.4 million or something or yeah. uh or or this you know this player who we have for you know maybe it's a high price too a million two million uh we don't want somebody else coming in and yeah, seeing them and uh, going over the top and trying to get this player away from us. Mm -hmm. So, so that's part of it. But I, I think more teams and probably the better teams recognize, like, no, like the if you have a good relationship with the you know the player with the player's family with his agent, like people will generally stick to the agreements. You know, barring some reason for a physical or. Uh, mm -hmm. PEDs, age identity type stuff, but 
it's it's that they realize I think that it's better for the players just to go out and play. Like it's just yeah, it's better for it's better for the don't team. try and outsmart better yourselves for, for the player. Just go go play play in games. Mm. Um, so um, you know they'll go to like a sh- you know if there's like a big showcase or something um, for you know players who are not committed don't go to that maybe, <laughs> but like yeah still go and just go out and play. Yeah. All right. Well, we talked a lot about process so far. Do you want to turn to some specific players now, whether that's current uh, January 15th prospects, maybe some international players you like in affiliated ball, uh, maybe some teams who you think are doing a particularly good or particularly poor job in the international market in general, Um, just going over some of the maybe top ranked international prospects, the teams that, that seem to have players in line for top 100 either definitely or maybe on the cusp um i'll just go down a few of them teams with multiple top 100 international prospects now at this point would be teams like the brewers the dodgers you're talking about who will be like top 100 overall like i'm talking just exactly yeah yeah not necessarily this current year but um some organizations that have multiple such players again brewers dodgers um the rockies the Yankees have a number. Would you say these are the teams who are kind of hitting the international market um, better than others? I think maybe I would even throw in like the Orioles and Padres that they might not have multiples here, Rays as well, but they've got really impact talents like a Samuel Basayo and Ethan Salas, uh, Junior Caminero. Um, but yeah, but I guess at this point, like which teams do you think are hitting the international market really well and then are there some teams that are on the rise I'm throwing a lot at you here but i want to kind of get into some specific player top talk yeah at this point. I, I would throw the guardians into that well <clears throat> just in terms of the mix of teams that have signed multiple top 100 prospects with uh brian rocchio and then mm-hmm. uh they did sign junior caminero uh they do not yeah. have junior <laughs> caminero in their organization, which I don't think Guardians fans need to be reminded of, but yeah, uh, maybe you'd rather have traded Rokio in that in that one, but I well, think get some points for signing Junior in the first place, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's what you know. It's not how many points do the White Sox get for signing Tatis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that they deserve a lot of credit for that, and he wasn't like this consensus uh, superstar. Yeah, exactly. By any means, so um, yeah, it's it's not the. It's not the fault of the international scouts that they traded those players. So mm-hmm. for um, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a few programs. I mean, definitely look at some programs that are on the rise. I think the, like if you look at just the last say five classes going back to 2019, it's always, it's always hard to judge international signing classes because it takes so long to judge the outcome of players who are signing at 16, 17 years old. I mean, even five years later, the, the, the elite of the elite are just mm-hmm. cracking a major league roster. Yep. Um, so it's hard to know even like five years, after even five that, years from like the draft. I feel like there's still a lot of players who are cracking into the league. So for the international players specifically, it, it, I feel like it's really not a ton of players. You need a long window. Yeah, so when you look at like historical success based on what players have done in the major leagues for international signings, like you're really looking back so like 10 plus years mm-hmm. ago, which is not super relevant for analyzing what's been happening in recent years. Uh, whereas I think we can, you know, we have some sense of how teams have been doing 
in the past five years, looking at, you know, where guys are ranked and how we're evaluating them right now, especially the guy, you know, going back to 2019 or, um, you know, that 2021 class. So, um, but I, I think if you look at who's improved the most over the last five years, I mean, number one, the easy answer has to be the Orioles, right? Just because yeah, if the, uh, the expectations are literally non-existent, just creating expectations is a pretty significant change for, <laughs> for an org that previously just did not compete in this market. Yeah. So, I mean, this is prior to Mike Elias coming and it's not that like, it's not that the previous year, it's not that Dan Duquette didn't understand that, Hey, there are good players in the Dominican Republic or there are good players in Venezuela. Maybe we should sign them. Like this was clearly something mandated from ownership that they were just not going to spend any money on, yeah. on er- almost any money on international players earlier, for a, a Cuban player yeah. here or there. Earlier when you were talking about just how long a timeline is and how how long your investment in these players has to be, I was just thinking of like the players at the very top of an organization that just probably want no nothing to do with that. Like just such a long window you have to wait before you actually see a return on that investment. I, I can imagine the international market probably drives a lot of owners crazy. Yeah. Well, I think for the Orioles, it was just for uh, other reasons, probably just, um, uh, I don't know, stupidity. Not wanting to spend money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they spent money in other areas, but just not internationally. I think it was just so it was just so dumb and so short-sighted and everything mm-hmm. was so they just didn't care. like, and I mean, this is all, again, this was all ownership just didn't care. Like, well, how can you, how can you look at this, you know, <laughs> Avenue where you're, there's so many star players coming from and not even just the stars, but uh, you know, major league regulars, starting pitchers, relievers everywhere up and down your roster. Why would you, want to basically have zero players from there. And if you look in their top 30 right now, even still, you can see the effects of it where who, who are the best Orioles prospects in the upper levels of the minor leagues right now? They just don't exist. I mean, because that's how bad they were for so many years, just ignoring one of the richest sources of talent (laughs) for players it was uh embarrassing for them uh but now you know they you know michael here, here comes in. the good news orioles fans hang yeah on. it's it's <laughs> it's got to be the most improved organization in baseball for again when you start at number 30 and it's i mean we just can't go any lower than 30 but yeah they were 30th in baseball for a long time so uh it's only up from there uh, I mean, Samuel Basayo right now, obviously, is the crown jewel of that. He was one of their first really big signings. I mean, even when they came, even when Elias came in and he hired Kobe Perez to lead their international department, again, like these deals happen years in advance. So even you come in and it's like, all right, great. Like, let's go out and sign some players. Uh, okay, well, the guy, the top guys for the next two years are already locked have, up. Yep. Yeah, commitments in place. So. Um, there's limitations to how much damage you can even do in those early years mm-hmm. that they got going, but uh, they were able to get Basayo, um, who's been, I mean, just phenomenal. I mean, 
he signed. He had he had huge power uh, and a huge body and a huge uh, huge arm strength. Questions about whether he would stay behind the plate. Um, you know, is it just raw power? Is it going to translate to games too? I think the catching questions are still there, partly just because of how big he is, and then also because of the presence of Adley Rushman. Yeah, I was going to say, fortunately, fortunately, they got a pretty good catcher there, but his bat is pretty fearsome at this Yeah, they have, I mean, he looks, if you put him at first base or you put him at, if you just said, hey, he's going to be DH only, I mean, Mm. this guy's still easily a top, I mean, I'll just be conservative and say top 50 prospect in baseball if you said he's... That's mighty conservative, I would say. (laughs) I'm looking at, like, where everyone for our individual list ranked him. You don't have a list here, Ben. I'm curious where you'd have him ranked, but there are a lot of people who have him inside that top 10 range. Well, I, I just mean if you said, hey, he is guaranteed to only be a DH from oh, here yeah. out the rest of his career. Gotcha. Because, yes, I agree. Right now, I mean, if you just look around the other the other top international prospects in baseball, I mean, I would, I would have Jackson Churio ahead. I would have Junior Caminero ahead. I would have Ethan Salas ahead of him i think i mean ethan's a much better defender he doesn't have Basayo's power mm-hmm. uh, but he also is a pretty good hitter too after that yeah then i think Basayo enters the conversation at least among just among international prospects i mean noel v Marte and marco luciano and jason dominguez and amador like these guys are either in the big leagues or mm-hmm. just on the cusp so there's you know more proximity, maybe a little bit more certainty with those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Jefferson Kiro is a better with the Brewers is a better defensive catcher. Well, he's a better defensive catcher than just about everybody in the minor <laughs> leagues, and, and and I like his bat too. But nowhere, I mean, it's I don't think it's close to offensively between Basayo and Kiro. Uh, Basayo can really really hit and hit with a ton of power. Has a good approach at the plate. Um, I mean, he just looks the part of a high on base, 30 plus home run guy. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you have a, a crown jewel with Basayo for your international program. And then when I mean, you look at the top 20 list that Josh did for the Florida complex league this year, and four of those 20 players were Orioles international signings with uh, mm. Brylan Tavera, an outfielder who was with, you know, their big international signing uh, a couple years ago, uh, Luis De Leon, left-handed pitcher uh, who had a nice season there. Leandro Arias, an infielder, who had a pretty solid year in that league. Thomas Sosa, uh, an outfielder, uh, 18-year-old outfield they signed under the DR uh, or was 18 this season, uh, signed him a couple of years ago. Um put up a you know high on base high slug this summer so mm-hmm. uh there's some there's some depth that's starting to build there too that doesn't even include Luis Almeida who was their big international signing last year he was injured uh so just didn't really play much at all so um you know of those four or five guys probably one of them ends up turning into something but um that's just kind of how the depth type guys yeah work but uh, yeah, I think they're light years ahead of where they were, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe four, four or five years ago. Who else is a team that that you think of as either on the rise with a, a particularly good group of young international prospects they've signed, or 
uh, an organization that you think is maybe just overhauled how they're doing the international market and you think is um, a, just a team worth noting as maybe an improver? Because, yeah, again, think- the Orioles, like you, you mentioned it in your first sentence, you said like the obvious one is the Orioles just because of how they previously operated. But it doesn't feel like any other team in the league had the just disdain for the international market like Baltimore did. So I'm curious what some yes. other like actual com- <laughs> com- competitive teams in the market, uh, which, which other ones would be risers for you? I, I would look at the Brewers. Um, I think in if you go back to the beginning of the decade, they there, there wasn't a lot of international talent yeah. that ultimately ended up coming through the, the organization. But if you look at, it now going back the last five years um yeah every team has their misses but Hmm. uh i think overall what they've done has been really strong and obviously headlines with jackson churio is uh you know potential superstar type player um but it's it's not just him it's him uh jefferson carroll he mentioned too who you know, I think will be definitely a top 100 prospect, probably belongs in the top 50 prospects, uh, signed him in 2019. Not a, not a big signing, you know, solid mid range. I think it was like $200,000. They gave him, he's, uh, probably top five, uh, catching prospect in baseball right now. Um, uh, Luis Lara had a really good year, uh, this year jumped to kind of you know, he's not Churio, but he kind of followed that same development path uh, as an outfielder who was a big international signing, also out of Venezuela. All three of these guys from Venezuela, uh, I think they've just done a really, they've been probably the most aggressive team signing Venezuelan players in uh, in recent years. So it's, it's funny you talk about the Brewers kind of in this rising category, but your timeline for them makes absolute sense. Because for me, and I started at BA in 2017, like I would put the Brewers just from my more limited perspective on the international market, like near the top of teams on the international market. I, w- I would immediately think of like Brewers, Yankees, Dodgers, Padres, maybe would be the first teams that come to mind. And Brewers would certainly be one of the first two. Um, so it's kind of interesting to just think about the time prior to me being here and maybe following them as closely, how, how big of a difference it actually is. Cause their top 30 has a ton of interesting international names. Yeah, the yeah, I mean, like I think, look, like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Padres have all done really well internationally. I wouldn't, but I think it's just more of a continuation of them continuing to sign <laughs> uh, good players. Um, yeah, maybe Dodgers more on the on the upswing, but um, compared to where they were previously. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I'd, I'd put them all into like just consistently good programs. Um, yeah internationally whereas i i think the brewers have really taken a, a pretty big leap up in going back the last five years in terms of the players that they've been able to assign uh you know, ferry rodriguez this year in the dsl was their big international signing uh from last january he had a great great year uh down there I, I think the pitching hasn't been Great. I mean, Abner Uribe, they did sign, uh, got to the big leagues. So he looks like a pretty uh, electric stuff reliever. We'll see how many strikes he ends up throwing. But otherwise, I I think the pitching has been lighter, but certainly on the uh, on the bats, you'll just look at what they have overall, uh, especially from Venezuela. It's been really, really strong. And and there's some depth guys beyond them that are 
kind of intriguing too, but um, but especially those those big guys at the top have been pretty pretty impressive. Any other orgs to note in this category? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just as far as improvements over the last five years, the last half decade, I'd, I'd put the Reds into that group. Yeah, as well. Um, Carlos Jorge, uh, longtime fan. Yeah, you've always been a his. big fan of him. He's, he's been good. Uh, Leo Balcazar, uh, shortstop. Um, you know, wasn't like a big dollar international signing, but he's been really good. And and the guys they have paid a lot of money for, uh, Alfredo Duno, the catcher. Uh, you know, he didn't catch this year, but it sounds like he's going to go back to doing that uh, once he's healthy uh, uh, in, in 24. Had a huge season in the DSL offensively. And then the, you know, when he has been behind the plate, it's been pretty good. Uh, so hopefully that continues when he gets back there. Uh, you know, Ricardo Cabrera, another big international signing, uh, seen some good things uh, from him. And then depending on when you're listening to this, uh, Adolfo Sanchez, an outfielder, may, may finally be a, officially a member of the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, so he's one of the, I would say he's one of the big, big international prospects for this year. Just very easy actions and everything he mm. does. Very polished left-handed swing. I think is one of the more advanced hitters. So I think for, you know, the years before that, you look at like the Reds signings, obviously like, you know, they have one really good uh, or potentially very, very good uh, international signing who's come through there. Um, but uh, otherwise, I don't think that uh, they've gotten a whole lot from their uh, their international program. Obviously, uh, Ellie De La Cruz is a, a pretty notable um, one who could change that path. But um, oh, his birthday is today. I just uh, just pulled oh, up his nice happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Ellie De La Cruz. <laughs> um, what did he turn? Nineteen. Yeah, he turned. Uh, just turned says uh 22 years old nice yeah is there a class in the current international group that you think is particularly good like is there one that you would pick obviously there are a couple of players that maybe stand out but in terms of portfolio of players who stands out to you among this this current international class that we're going to see on january 15th in a couple of days the like who are the top players for this not necessarily who are the top players, but is there a specific team that you think has done a nice job with all the players they're expected to sign? Maybe that, maybe it's the same question. Maybe it just is who, who has the best, who has signed the best players. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough to say there's, you know, like some teams like the Braves or the Padres, their class is pretty much going to be centered around one guy. Um, obviously in the Braves case, Jose Perdomo, mm-hmm. Padres, Leo Dallas, DeVry. Although I, you know, I think the Padres, they'll, they'll sign, both those teams will sign other players, but mostly smaller amounts. I think the Padres. It's basically uh, the equivalent of over slotting your first rounder and going senior signs the rest of the way in the domestic draft. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess Jose Perdomo is the Braves, uh, Dylan Cruz. So, <laughs> um, I think the Padres will end up signing some other, They'll, like they'll have some more flexibility in their bonus pool to maneuver than the than the Braves will, even though they what they signed Xander Bogarts, so they're 
missing a good chunk of money from what would have been their um, original signing bonus pool. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, otherwise it's tough. Cause especially like the deeper down the list guys, they're just, they're not like really being seen much outside of <laughs> the organizations that they're signing with, uh, you know, still do have some, updated reports from you know people outside the organization on those players who have been able to see them somewhat recently but um but it's tough because these guys just aren't being scouted super uh super extensively at uh at this point so the kind of the depth of the class will take a little bit more time to reveal itself do you think either of um devree or perdomo are good enough now where they would be in immediate top 100 consideration for you or no is there just too much risk and uncertainty involved in the profiles at this stage i think devree would um yeah i don't know that i would put him there right now but i would think he's probably of the players in this class the most likely guy to crack a top 100 it'd probably be the first guy i would bet on Mm -hmm. to make a top 100 um i mean like like we talked about the you know the brewers have kind of shown a tendency for their development paths the way they've handled um you know churio and luis lara like starting them in the dsl skip the Arizona complex league, go like right from extended to the go to, to low a early in the following season. I mean, the Padres just pushed Ethan Salas to, um, to they pushed him to low a when he was 16 years old <laughs> and got to double a by the end of the season. So I could see something with DeVry where, yeah, maybe he does, Maybe he is that guy who is the kind of the exception where they do push him aggressively and let's say he gets out this summer and he's killing the ball in in Arizona. Like yeah. And and everybody's, you know, gonna be scouting him there. Uh if he does come over for <clears throat> extended, I'm sure a lot of you know, a lot of eyes will be on him. A lot of clubs will be wanting updated looks and, and first looks from their pro scouts on him so yeah i think he could he has both the the talent and probably the the most likely to get that opportunity in in the states to be seen by uh a lot more people and and generate a lot more buzz that way because you know if like if he's in the if he was in the draft this year in 23 i think he goes in the first round um maybe just like depends on your risk tolerance i mean i don't know him versus like Dylan Head, who who the Padres did take in the first round. I, I like Dylan Head mm-hmm. a lot. He's you know premium position center field, makes a lot of contact, some occasional uh, power um, that can be a little surprising for his size. But I I I take Devery mm-hmm. ahead of him. I think he's just as good, if not a, a better hitter. Uh, I think he's going to have more power. And it's like center field versus chance for shortstop. <clears throat> Maybe it ends up being second or, or third base. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can kind of debate the defensive or positional 
value who has more of it there. But I, I take DeVry. Now, I'm not putting Dylan Head in a top 100 uh, either. But, um, you know, I think you, once you get to that back of the top 100, you can go a lot of different ways in mm-hmm. terms of uh, guys who might be more back-end starters yeah. who could fit there versus the further away, higher ceiling. And, and like putting degree. together my personal top 150 list as we prep for a top 100, I, I felt like this year in particular, it was extremely difficult to really separate players once I got to about 50 or so on the list. There were maybe 75 other players who I really didn't see massive separation and really struggled to kind of line players up. Um, it, it felt more difficult than previous years in that range. So it, it definitely is worth reiterating the fact that like, once we get to 101, it's not like there's some massive drop-off. There's nothing magical about 100 as a number of players that signifies a, a drop-off in talent. There are a number of players that um, very much could warrant a back of the 100 um, fixture on the board. So, um, yeah, this year, I don't know. I, I think we both like the very top of the list, the depth of the top 100. I, I think there are going to be a lot of changes in the season, a lot of chances for players to maybe jump up in that range and Maybe that could be a pivot, Ben, to some lower-level international prospects that, that you really like. We, we've we talked about Junior Caminero. We've talked about Jackson Troyo. We've talked about Ethan Salas. Are there any names that you either think people are maybe not aware of yet or sleeping on a little bit or players who showed you something in rookie ball or in the DSL who are already in pro ball, who are already affiliated prospects that, that you want to mention here or talk about? Uh, yeah, we talked about those guys. Talked about <clears throat> you know, Ferry Rodriguez with the Brewers. Um, I think the the Phillies class where they signed Starlin Caba, the shortstop, <clears throat> as their big international signing out of the Dominican Republic, and then Eduardo Taitz, the uh, Panamanian catcher, looks like a an extremely strong group for them. Um, you know, both those guys already are top 10 prospects for the Phillies. The, I think Kaba, he he's, you know, we'll see how much power he ends up getting to, but as far as the defensive side, it's been, you know, he's always earned stellar reviews for his defense, the, the hands, the footwork, uh, arm strength, uh, the internal clock, the the first step, the anticipation, uh, the the flashy plays he's able to make. The it's a lot of arrows pointing to a, a plus defender. Uh, excuse me, a plus defender, uh, maybe plus plus ultimately at shortstop. So, uh, but I don't just get excited about you know a, a really good defensive shortstop if he can't hit. Uh, yeah, it but, sounds like his contact skills are pretty elite too. Yeah, I mean, 16 strikeouts in 38 games this year. It's a, a ton of contact, almost almost twice as many walks as strikeouts this year in the DSL. Um, <clears throat> it, it can be tough because the, the pitchers are wild. Yeah, they're pretty the, wild. <laughs> the, the umpires are uh, in in their development stages <laughs> as well. Um, so, it, you know, I feel like it, almost like thinking about ABS and robo umps, could you imagine robo umps in the DSL? You'd never finish a game. 
I think you I would need to. Would. I think in that environment you would need to tighten it up or loosen it up a little bit. Oh, to, oh, because of the amount. Of yeah, just because of the amount of pitchers that are just learning to throw strikes. Yeah, yeah, that's. Probably I mean, it's like it's like any good. any sort of level in baseball. Like the further down you go, the more liberal you really need to be with the strike zone, unless you you plan to have like a cricket length baseball time. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. So, uh, you know, the red flag is. I think he had what like four extra base hits the entire season. Yeah, so yeah, two doubles not, and two triples. Yeah, not hitting the ball out of the park. Uh, you hope some more power comes he was only 17 years old last mm. season so there's still a lot of time for that to come but it definitely is the biggest risk factor in his profile but yeah a ton of contact he can run he can really really defend at shortstop so uh, a lot to like with him and then eduardo tate i mean geez, this guy played the entire season except for maybe well like the playoffs at 16 years old had he mm-hmm. been born a week later he wouldn't be eligible to sign until January 15th this year. Mm-hmm. And he went out and he hit 333, 400, 517 as a catcher <laughs> in the DSL. So, um, you know, makes a lot of contact, hits the ball hard. Um, looks like he should be able to stay behind the plate too. Um, so there's, yeah, but, between those two, that's there's a lot to like from um, just from that one mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, international signing class to get two immediate top ten prospects uh, by the end of the year. Yeah, and the Philly system as a whole, it might not be like one of the best systems in baseball, but it's is it's an extremely fun farm system. There are a ton of tools in the system. There are a lot of athletes. There's a lot of volatility involved between just proximity of players and some injuries, obviously. Andrew Painter kind of leading the way as a guy who has missed some time with injury and Aiden uh, Miller too, their first rounder. Yeah, I, I just feel like the Phillies and, and I'm I don't know if they have specific philosophies or targeted players on the international market, but certainly in recent drafts they have gone after these high upside, maybe riskier types that other teams don't really want to target. They've not been afraid of taking high school pitchers early. They've taken players that just don't have a ton of recent track record because of injuries on the showcase circuit, players that don't have a ton of um, just national showcase track record period. They take these like huge stuff pitchers that really need, need to figure out the strikes. Like a lot of those pitchers we're talking about in the DSL. So there's a, I feel like there's a wide range of outcomes for like this wave of Phillies prospects, but man, there's a lot of talent here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, when we uh, pan to, it was a pitcher they signed out of uh, Taiwan. I mean, I should, He's not a top 10 prospect in the system right now, but another guy from that class who, uh, I mean, he was up to, I think he was like flirting with triple digits on his fastball. Uh, he's got a splitter. Uh, you know, he's a relief prospect mm-hmm. purely, which I think that was probably going to be always the case, whether they developed him that way uh, or not. But He's, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of stuff to like with him. Missed a ton of bats through, a, you know, a, does need to tighten the control some, but, you know, solid strikes for his his first year um, low in low A. Um, so to get the, this, the both the upside and, and sort of the, the volume of those mm-hmm. players already popping from their interna- international class is pretty 
pretty encouraging to see. Yeah, no, that's a fun trio. Uh, any other players or any other teams that you feel like have gotten good early returns from recent international classes? Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel like a lot of guys. There's been a, a lot of interesting uh, story. Obviously, like you know, Sebastian Wolcott with the Rangers already in our <clears throat> top 100 prospects. He's kind of an obvious guy. They're big signing from the Bahamas in January 23. Um, you know, and then, you know, Jeremy Rodriguez, who, I mean, the Mets didn't sign the Diamondbacks, signed him, um, was, he was, he was one of the, he's really the Diamondbacks, big international signing in 2023, $1.25 million, um, was really good in the DSL. They traded him to the Mets in the Tommy Pham deal. Uh, and he was also 16 this year, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Another guy who was young for the class just turned like he turned 17 in July. Uh, so he was on the definitely on the younger end, but very, uh, pretty well-rounded player and an advanced hitter for his age too, which obviously he showed it, uh, between the two levels, more walks and strikeouts, 293, yeah. 411, 467. Uh, I don't know if I said two levels between the two teams, hmm. the, the obviously the Mets and the D-backs, DSL club. So um, it is still kind of softer contact right now, but he is still so young for the class. The swing works really well. There's a lot of contact. He understands the strike zone. And he's not, he's not like a flashy, uh, you know, explosive shortstop. Maybe he goes to second base, uh, but I, I still think he could stick at shortstop. It, it just depends who you talk to. But um, I guess a good, good early return for uh, D-backs scouting department on that one. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think we're going to be talking about this the one like uh, like we're talking about uh, Fernando Tatis or uh, Junior Camonero, <laughs> but definitely one that has a chance to come back to bite the T backs. Although mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, well, the season worked out all right for <laughs> yeah. They had a pretty guess. good year. Maybe Corbin Carroll will ease some of the uh, misgivings with this trade. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, <clears throat> yeah, you talked about just how good the Dodgers are consistently on the international market i think and especially in recent years um i i think that's that 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 continued this past year where you know we saw joe Andre vargas the who was their big shortstop international signing out of the dominican republic last year had a really great season in the dsl as a 17 year old uh 328 423 529 other guy almost almost as many walks as strikeouts and and with him where you know certainly power questions on Jeremy Rodriguez or Starlin Caba with Joandre Vargas um no he's like 6 foot 4 uh, a lot of a lot of strength projection left already hit seven home runs in 48 games in the DSL uh last year's a lot of bat speed, a lot of strength, a lot of leverage in the swing too. Uh, I think he'll, you know, he, he has a chance to be a 2025, maybe 25 plus home run guy. If, uh, if everything clicks, I mean him, Eduardo Quintero, who is like, a uh, this unusual catcher slash center fielder. Now just center fielder out of Venezuela. They signed last year too, had a really good year, but, um, 
both those guys uh, have have looked really, really good so far. Maybe uh, they'll I, be up in the big leagues before Michael Bush too. Uh, <laughs> that could, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that's not the case. Free Michael hopefully, Bush. Hopefully, Michael Bush is wearing another another uniform for <laughs> for everybody. I, I think the Dodgers will be happy with that too. Like, yeah, just to I mean. Get, I'm honestly surprised he's still there. I feel like I feel like he could have been used as in a trade a long time ago, but yeah. Yeah. I won't question the Dodgers. They they have a pretty uh pretty impressive track record overall, so I can't claim to be smarter than them. Yeah. Well, I mean, we like Michael Bush. I mean, we I do. Yeah. probably. Like yeah, we Michael just want to see him Bush. in the big leagues. He's 26 years old. <laughs> yeah. Please, yeah, please get Michael Bush to the big leagues before yeah, you know, Andre Vargas is there. <laughs> uh, okay, Ben, um, I'm not sure how much more time you have before you need to get out of here, but I, I mean, this is your day. This is the preview. So if there's anything else you want to mention, you know, players you want to touch on, anything about January 15th you want to mention that we haven't yet, by all means, feel free. But at the same time, I know you have plenty to work on and plenty you probably need to be doing, so I don't want to keep you too long. Other than talking to you, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Uh, let's see. I'll throw another, I mean, for this, this year's class, who do, I'm trying to think who we talked about on the last podcast. I know we talked about DeVry, you know, we talked about. Yeah. DeVry and Perdomo, uh, Perdomo. old news. We talked about one pitcher. We talked about, um, Mets catcher, Giovanni Rodriguez. So if, if it's any of those, we definitely talked about them. Um, but yeah, throw out, who who are you going to throw out? All right. Did we talk Luis Cova last time? I don't believe so. Yeah, he's he's an interesting one. He's a Venezuelan outfielder um, going to sign with the sounds like the Marlins. Um, I I think he's going to be one. He sounds like one of the best players in <clears throat> not just Venezuela but just probably the class overall this year. Uh, some sort of I guess biographical at least comparisons to Jackson Churio as far as starting out as a shortstop really good athlete move to center field uh, and everything seems to be continuing to be arrow up <clears throat> for him. I mean, that was kind of the same thing with Cheerio where he was a shortstop as an amateur, I even signed as a shortstop, but then he had some, uh, some arm issues and it was just so good. Uh, it just looks so comfortable in center field. Uh, Brewers just kept him out there and so far so good, I would say. Um, with that but yeah kova another really good athlete um good reviews on obviously the the tools with him and then the the bat as well which you know usually you're getting one or the other uh you're getting a really tooled up good athlete uh who can you know maybe hit the ball a mile plus run plus plus run uh but doesn't have as much instincts for the game or feel at the plate uh, or you have a player who <clears throat> is really instinctive, makes a lot of contact, but is lighter on tools. Mm. Whereas with Kova, uh, it sounds like a good blend of the tool uh, or excuse me, good blend of the two. Now, you know, we'll see once he actually mm. gets into pro ball and hits, you know, maybe a buck 80 in the DSL and you can throw all <laughs> that out. But um, so far the, uh, the returns or, or the reviews have been pretty encouraging from well, that's, scouts in Venezuela. That's definitely good for Miami fans. I know the the hitting in the organization in the system overall 
in recent years has been a bit questionable. Some yeah. some draft misses on the domestic side have not helped for that. Uh, obviously, there's still some players who can turn things around, but definitely more pitching heavy in that farm system. So getting a a really tooled up international prospect who also sounds like a good hitter is has got to be encouraging for for that those fans and and the system overall. All right, yeah. Give me a give me a position or or something that you're looking for. I'll I'll give you some. Well, I love shortstops, but it's all shortstops. So, are there any other catchers beyond um, our, our more top of the board catcher and Rodriguez who are really intriguing to you? Because the, the international market obviously is responsible for a huge number of the everyday catchers in the big league. So, who, who are some catchers, or who's like maybe the the most interesting catcher to you beyond Rodriguez? Yeah, I don't know if this will this will surprise you, Carlos, but almost Venezuela. All the top- Almost all of the big <laughs> catchers this year will be from Venezuela yet again. Yeah. Um, what's is, what's going on down there? Uh, just yeah, a lot of catchers. Every every workout you go to in you know for Venezuelan players, the catching segment takes a long time to <laughs> to get through because there's just a lot of a lot of catchers um, this year. Uh, let's see. The I I'll give you one yeah um let me double check his uh yeah Anderson Anderson Navas is a catcher who you know you're not gonna see him on like uh he won't he won't even be on our top bonus lists um and he won't be like on a ranking probably anywhere else um but I except from he might. He's somebody I would at least consider putting into our Phillies top thirty right away. Um, well, you said this, so I assume someone might run run along and put him on a list somewhere after they heard you talk about this. So probably, yeah, <laughs> and present it as though they have done their homework by talking to people, but actually are just using our information. I don't think N- none of that happens here in the baseball industry. Do that. that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> but no, he's somebody who I mean. He's big, um, like almost like uh, I don't know if he's like I don't want to say like Basayo big because he's like maybe like Basayo height, but more gangly I think <laughs> than him. But he's got a, a huge arm. He makes a lot of contact. The swing is, you know, the swing is okay, but he does put the bat to the ball a lot and, and there's power uh, in there too. Like, you know, he's like six, three, six, four. So um, somebody who, if you're looking for an under the radar or under ish, the radar catcher in Venezuela, he'd be one name to uh, keep an eye on. I think he's somebody who could, Love that. Uh, um, uh, you know, make a, make a bigger name for himself than, um, maybe what people will see on signing day. Are there any left-handed pitchers of note? Because there are not many pitchers typically that are super notable on this board. I think you have one pitcher on your top 50 board currently. Do left-handed pitchers exist in this signing class, Ben? Anyone of note? See how uh, deep in your bag you can go. <laughs> you know, like there just aren't that, for whatever reason, there just aren't a ton of left-handed pitchers in – yeah, not just in this class, but I think just in the Dominican Republic in general. But you can't play shortstop if you're left-handed. So why would you? 
Why would you teach them to throw left-handed? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's not really like a big lefty this year. Um, just like going down, you know, like there'll be some guy, like guys who sign for like two, three hundred, something in that range, but there's not one it, guy where I could be is like, there Is there anyone who is already playing first base regularly or is like <laughs> definitely just a first baseman who is notable in this class? Any huge, like beefy slugger type? Again, this like 16, 17-year-olds, so harder to find that profile um, compared to other age groups, but... No, we call them we call them third basemen here. It's <laughs> if you're already at third base, most of those guys, with with some exceptions, have pretty significant risk that they're gonna ultimately outgrow the position and yeah, move to first base. I mean, Rafael Devers was the third baseman when he signed, and and he had those questions. So, who too, exactly but... is playing first base in in all these workouts? People just have to rotate through and have to do your time at the position. Yeah, whoever. Somebody <laughs> just throw somebody over there. Uh that's funny. A coach can play over there. Um there's some good there's some good third baseman this year. Um I guess somebody a little uh like he'll he'll be one of their he'll be one of their top signings, although he's not gonna be a top fifty bonus guy, I don't think. But um uh Carlos Carrasquel from Venezuela, uh, who I hear is going to sign with the Red Sox. Um, big, like six foot four, right-handed hitter. Yeah, like he's not, I think especially early on, was not much of a runner or defender. But um, so he was at shortstop. I think he's already at third base now. So, but he he has big power. Uh, a lot of bat speed, swing works pretty well. There's definitely a lot of offensive attributes to like, um, you know, Vladimir Asensio's there, uh, the outfielder who's um, more of the, yeah, the, the smaller contact hitting type, like really, really extremely high contact rate, more in the kind of a, just in terms of pure contact, similar to, uh, Yo, Eileen Cespedes, as far as a smaller mm. contact hitter, you know, Cespedes hit, hit for a lot of impact too, despite his size. But uh, I mean, Asensio will be their big signing, or well, bonus wise, their big signing for mm-hmm. this year. Whereas Carrasquel, probably their, probably, yeah, probably be their top signing out of uh, Venezuela this year. Definitely a, a big third baseman who has a lot of, a lot of things to like at the plate. Who stands out to you as having the most exciting power tool in this class? Someone that just has a lot of impact or, or projects to have a lot of impact. And it could be raw power. It could be accessible power. Just overall, when you think of like most fun power hitter in this class, is there someone who comes to mind? Hmm. Uh, let me thinking just for power. Uh, I mean, yeah, like debris has power. I think it'll be usable. Mm. Um, you know, Fernando Cruz has power. Uh, I think Victor Hurtado, Dominican outfielder, uh, left-handed hitter is going to have a lot of power, mm. uh, just cause of the way, you know, he's already six, three, maybe six, four. Um, uh, I think Nibel Mariano, who's a, like a six foot three shortstop from the Dominican Republic, 
a lot of raw power with him see if it all you know clicks it's it's more on the the raw side um but a lot of you know upside with him if everything clicks i think the guy one guy who's really interesting is adriel radney or uh yeah adriel radney uh dominican outfielder uh about six foot three still pretty still pretty lean pretty athletic body a lot of room to fill out uh home runs and and home runs in games that we're seeing already uh and he's showing that power uh to all field it's not like he has to sell out to generate that power so he'd be somebody i definitely put in that group uh francisco valoria uh, excuse me valorio uh, an outfielder from the dominican republic uh who i think the yankees are going to sign um some people think it's more power over hit with him but definitely big big power uh speed too uh we'll see how much of that like he ends up retaining and, and whether it ends up being center field versus a corner but um he's he's definitely got some of the biggest raw power in the class and and we've seen him uh tap into it in mm. in games too okay there there are probably a ton of options for this next tool i'm going to ask about because it, it seems like there are always a ton of great options here but if you had to pick the best single defender position agnostic so outfield shortstop catcher i'm assuming it'll be one of those um who would you point to the best defender yeah, uh, as I like go down the top of the list, it's a lot more offensive guys here. That makes sense. Um, Hitting is the most important. <laughs> yeah, uh, but defense is the most fun. Yeah, defense. It is fun to see a yeah like a Starling Kaba type defender at shortstop. Um, I mean, there are there are people who do really like Giovanni Rodriguez um, behind the plate. Um, so as far as like catcher, he'd be somebody who um, who would jump out trying to. Uh, yeah, like you got to go. I think a little bit deeper down to find somebody who's like, you know, and there are like some guys who have good defensive you know good defensive actions in center field but maybe not the raw foot speed um yeah and like some guys wow sounds like this class is a a bit of a wash for good defenders yeah i like abdiel i would say maybe abdiel feliz a dominican shortstop um definitely i think his i think his glove stands out more than the offensive upside Mm. Uh, maybe some similarities to like a like a Jeffrey Marte who signed uh, a few years back uh, was like a big prospect at the time, um, more for like his his flash and his defense, um, and and Feliz is some of those traits where he, uh, a lot of athleticism, uh, soft hands, quick feet can make uh, you know pretty special plays at times defensively. Um, so I, you know, if we're looking for, uh, kind of a, a glove oriented shortstop, he'd be, he'd be one guy I'd, I'd point to. Nice. Okay. Like that. Uh, I think those are the only tools I had to throw out at you, Ben. I've challenged your knowledge on the class. 
and I think you passed. So congratulations for that. All right. Do you want any pitching too, or Mm. just you didn't have any lefties? You 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 don't have lefties, so there's no changeups. So whatever. You do like your lefties. I'll uh, (laughs) I'll give you that. If there is an interesting pitcher, I think it's always interesting to hear. But we touched on some of the the better pitchers in the class last episode, I believe. So I don't know if we need to necessarily rehash it, unless you got a pop up in the last week. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think there, there'll be some guys who <clears throat> signed for, uh, you know, mid range bonuses or low six figures who, <clears throat> you know, are already throwing 95, 96 miles an hour with varying degrees of starteriness, uh, probably a lot of bullpen arms in that group. Uh, but then a lot of, you know, the, the pitching is always fun or just intriguing for me because there's so many guys who are in that bucket of like projection indicators that you like they're Mm. you know six two six three a lot of room to fill out fast arm good mechanics uh touching maybe 92 right now which is pretty good for 16 and then some of those guys will blow up and end Mm -hmm. up being Yuri Perez, and then others you'll, you'll never, never hear from. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why you love pitching prospects, Ben. You you notably are very high on that demographic. So yeah, it's too yeah, it's just too bad that like it it's such a group that's so fraught with so much risk. <laughs> it it is fun to try to project arms almost sometimes. Yeah, I think sometimes more so than the the even the the hitters it's fun to envision what what kind of stuff a pitcher will have in the future based on you know body type arm speed uh their mechanics mm-hmm. the way their stuff is now and and what you can try to project on it going forward but there's yeah so many so many things that can go wrong along the ways yeah no doubt um is that it, Ben? Do we have everything covered? I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we get uh, out of here? I don't know if we covered everything, but it's uh, well everything everything that can be distilled into our normal podcast length. How about that? They'll, everything that's not on this podcast that you need to know about the class, just check out the website and follow Ben. Yeah, no, I think it's just uh, it's a uh, January fifteenth, and you know before that, obviously July second is just a great day for the players and their families. It's you know. We'll probably have, I don't know, 400, 500, something like that, players from uh, around the world, obviously primarily uh, in the DR and Venezuela who are signing. And it's such a <clears throat> such a life-changing day for uh, the kids and their families. Uh, it's always great to see the photos come in and just see how happy everybody is. So it's such a uh, it's just a fun day to be a part of and be able to uh, kind of share the share information, share photos, share as much of it as we can with everybody. So it's just always a really, really great day for the players and uh, all their families that day. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure you're following Ben on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Badler. There'll be a ton of content for you there. Make sure you're checking out his work at the site over at Baseball America. Um, as always guys, if, if you want to send us emails, we, we have a couple of listener emails. I think I'm going to save for next episode and keep this one entirely international focused since it's sort of our de facto international January 15th preview episode. Um, 
but we do have some kind of in the in the vault here that we'll be answering next episode. And if you have any questions about the international class, as you're getting familiar with players that maybe your favorite team is signing, uh, or just any other comments about the show questions, um, in other areas of, of the baseball world, you can email us at future projection at baseballamerica.com. You can reach out to Ben on Twitter. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Carlos a Colazzo. Um, yeah. Anything else we need to plug? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think that's everything. No, it's, uh, January 15th, top 100, good good time of year. Yeah, fun time of year, lots of content on the site. We have breakout prospects for every club on the site as well. Maybe that's a, a piece that you guys haven't seen yet. Definitely check that out on the site. But you guys know the deal. Um, lots of stuff going on the website. And, yeah, we will be back next week to talk about other baseball things. So thank, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for supporting Baseball America in general. Um, I will let Ben get back at it. So for Ben, I'm Carlos. So long, everybody.